Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends? Whew, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, put this one in context. So call me 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's the economy, stupid. Or is it Apple, stupid? On an awful day where the Dow plunged 660 points, the S&P plummeted 2.48%, and the NASDAQ nosedived 3.04%. <laughs> We don't know who to blame. Either way, the decline makes sense. When one of the largest companies on Earth reports a dramatic shortfall, you need to leave no stone unturned to find out what the heck is going on. The problem is when we turn over stones, we keep finding poisonous nematodes. I like that word. And that's not encouraging. It makes us want to sell, 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 sell. And that's exactly what we did. So let's start with Apple and try for a moment to be dispassionate about it, okay? Apple pre-announced in large part because of China. It's funny. Apple expects to see, set all-time records. Get this. It's going to set all-time records in the United States, all right, Italy, uh, Germany, uh, Canada, Spain, Netherlands, Korea. <sighs> Who cares? Uh, I do, but not today. The blast zone heat was too great to process the good with the bad. No matter, the focus is on China. And it's so important, we saw opposing camps on what went down here. One camp believes that Apple now lacks innovation and its phones are too expensive. The other camp says that the issue was China itself, and we aren't sure why. Could be anything from a weaker Chinese economy to their government encouraging consumers to buy products made in China by Chinese companies. Hey, come on. It's the same way people here prefer to buy American. It doesn't matter whether Apple's actually making the phones in China or not. It's a U.S. company, and the trade war is hurting them. Think about it. Apple may be a huge employer in China, but if you lived in the PRC with the Communist Party potentially watching everything you do, you'd have to be crazy not to buy a domestic Huawei phone over a foreign Apple phone, even if it is a piece of junk versus Apple. The narrative today is that the long knives are out for Apple because cheaper phones are in vogue, and they simply can't get away with charging so much for the iPhone. I disagree! I think it's a lot more complicated than that or else it wouldn't be doing so well in all these other countries. And China's quickly weakening economy played a huge role in this hideous pre-announcement. I want to emphasize hideous because, boy, when you saw it happen last night, all you could think of was... (laughs) That's right. 
I say the problem is Apple's China business, not Apple itself. Consider, if this company's really so starved of innovation, why is Apple crushing it in so many different countries? I'm not even talking about wearables, which are up nearly 50%, despite supply constraints on the new watch. No one wants to talk about that. We heard the ecosystem is dying. But then how did Apple's service business do $10.8 billion in sales? None of it makes sense unless you look at it by region. Apple's doing very well in most places, but very, very poorly in China. I think the China sales are weak both by design and by circumstance. The design being PRC pressure, the circumstance being that the Chinese economy is now slowing down. Some of that's because the Trump administration is finally fighting back against the Chinese's ridiculously unfair trade practices. The tariffs are hurting them, and by extension, they're hurting American companies that do business over there. Which brings me to the bigger issue. When you combine the weakness in China with the U.S. PMI we got today that shows the worst plunge since 2008, not a comparison you want to make. You get a picture of utter weakness across the board. And that's why bond yields are defying anything I've ever seen. Hey, come on, the yield on the 10 years is 2.55%. Shouldn't with full employment, like we keep hearing it be like around, uh, I call it 3.5%, all right? So what should happen right now? In an alternate universe that no one believes in, except for perhaps moi, the Fed will be meeting to discuss whether the U.S. economy needs to have two rate cuts or three. Yeah, now that the business cycle clearly peaked in October. Yep, that's when it all started going downhill. Beginning of October, from commodities like oil, go check the chart, to factory orders, to high-end retail sales, to housing. I could go on and on. There's only one problem. At the exact moment we were getting that peak data, at the exact moment, Fed Chairman Jay Powell told us the economy was accelerating so rapidly we might need three more rate hikes this year on top of the one he just hit us with in December. As regular viewers know, I was apoplectic when I heard that. The data was uh, I was looking at, and I've gone over it with you endlessly, okay, all my indicators, showed that we were on the verge of a slowdown. Powell just refused to see it. Now we have the very weakness I was predicting. And what's the policy response? Fed says will give us uh, two rate hikes, not three. <sighs> Phew. Thank heavens. You know what that means? It means the Federal Reserve is really only targeting one thing. No one said this either. This is news flag, you know, like breaking news. How do you want to put that? You know what they're targeting? They're targeting job losses. Not what you hear. Job loss. Perhaps the Fed wants an unemployment to go back to 5%. Because its antiquated models show that the level where we won't need more rate hikes. You know, my wife always says when Jim gets, when he talks really low like this, it's when he's really angry. I don't know. It's a pretty smart woman. Anyway, I'm going to repeat that. Despite what you hear, despite what people say about the sainted Fed, it ain't stopping those rate increases. Do you think we fall like this just off of Apple? It ain't stopping those rate increases until the unemployment rate jumps and people are losing jobs all over the place. That's what they view as a win. Once the Fed gets lots of people laid off, then their work might be done. Hallelujah! I say might. Because if they're really boneheaded enough not to adopt my prudent one-and-wait philosophy, maybe they want unemployment to rise to, I don't know, 5.5%. may sound crazy to you, but these are doctrinaire central bankers. Their decisions are not data-dependent. Stop with the kidding, unless the data in question is the unemployment rate. Now, there's a byproduct of the Fed's real goal of higher unemployment. You get what happened to Apple today. Earnings shortfalls. International companies could be felt by China with only some spare. Maybe Starbucks, maybe Nike, at least for now. If the Chinese can make real good sneakers, then I would tell you to short Nike. Starbucks hasn't been targeted, that I can tell. Who knows what's next? Domestically, it's a Fed field day. 
We have layoffs galore in the energy patch thanks to crashes in oil, natural gas, and natural gas liquids. It's just been cut almost in half. We have a slowdown in construction because of higher interest rates and the possibility that some community banks may not be able to raise capital because they'd be paying too much interest to get it. We have hideous automobile and housing numbers, but the Fed hasn't even considered those companies. And we now have what I think will be some very big retail layoffs, particularly in the mall. They must be so happy at the Fed they're getting exactly the job cuts they wanted. Now, as a stock picker, I have to say that Powell's made it a little more difficult to make money. We have a collapse in oil, so you reach for the airlines. <laughs> the slowdown's already cut into their earnings. Mark and Dell just hit 52-week lows, for heaven's sake. Uh, maybe go with travel and leisure because gasoline's so low. Are you kidding me? You don't buy those stocks when the economy's slowing. That's why Marriott and Hilton, so both their stocks uh, are annihilated today. So what do you do? Well, you buy the stocks of companies that do well in a recession, even though I don't think we're going into one, that are also bolstered by lower raw costs. Remember, natural gas, liquids, natural gas, oil. Uh, they're safety stocks. That's what's worth owning. Clorox, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, you get the picture. If you can drink it or wash with it, J-Pal just gave you a winner. Is there a way out of this box? I think a trade deal with China sure could help, and I think Trump's going to have to do one, uh, especially with Apple. It's going to definitely help. Uh, oh, it's possible. Who knows when it'll happen? I think the president's scrambling because he knows what uh, J-Pal's uh, ultimate uh, game plan is. Here's the bottom line. What matters after today are the earnings and how bad they're going to be. From the looks of Apple, pretty bad. And that's worth considering as we go into the season that's not too jolly anymore. Remember, I'm not, I want to be constructive. A trade deal matters. But you know what? When it comes to the Fed, Alex in New Jersey, Alex. Hey, Jim. Thank you so much for taking my call tonight. You're welcome. So, Jim, I wanted to ask, one topic that's been brought up lately is the high-frequency trading taking over the market. Having been a hedge fund manager yourself, what are some advice and techniques you can offer to us retail day traders to combat these fast machines? And what do you have to say to all the slackers out there having machines trade for them, controlling our markets? Well, retail day traders, I think, are losers because the whole notion of what these companies are doing is beating you. Uh, you're running a uh, 100 meters in, I don't know, 50 seconds, and they're running them in eight. Uh, you, you can't compete. It's okay. You can't compete. Not everybody makes the playoffs, okay? Not everybody makes the playoffs. The high-frequency traders make the playoffs because the ground is unfair, unlevel, and the SEC doesn't know what high-frequency means other than maybe like it's something like with really good Bose speakers, Hey, how about Matthew in Washington, please? Matthew. Thank you for taking my call, Mr. Kramer. My pleasure. I had a question about the recent market volatility. I'm looking to retire early, and I was wondering if I should wait a little more to bonds than someone else my age normally would. Well, you know, I'm hitting up a symbol. used to be the old Sendant. Boy, I remember that was a bad one. It's called CD. And CDs are good. I saw them for th- I saw one for three and a half percent the other day. Uh, now they went down today. The CDs because of the uh, bond rates. But I think that you've got to be sure that they're not that you don't have all stock and that you have a decent percentage of CDs out three years right now. Uh, I've never recommended CDs on this show other than 2007 to 2009. And even then, I wasn't willing to do a lot of the CDs. I didn't trust the banks. Uh, wow, CDs. Thanks, Jay. As we start the new year, what matters is earnings and how bad the shortfalls will be. We're going to be all over this stuff all year, people. We're going to find the winners, but we're going to find the losers, too. From the looks of Apple, it could be bad. 
Tonight on our brand new 2019 edition of Mad Money, loser, loser, double loser. You get the picture? I'm going through stocks that are rough fourth quarter and letting you know if it's a new year, new opportunity. And you know what? I actually have some. But first, all they do is win, win, win. Could the top stocks of fourth quarter keep on winning? I'm going to give you my take. And the healthcare world is constantly changing. So what does it mean for a company like AMN Healthcare? It doesn't have a lot of economic sensitivity. I've got the exclusive for the CEO. We're going to get through this together. We're going to be constructive. We're not going to be pessimistic. We're going to be realistic. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Now that we've finally turned the page on the horrific fourth quarter, even as the averages continue to get slammed, how do we search for opportunities? Bye, bye, bye! This is a truly beaten down market, and at times like this, I like to go over both the biggest winners in the S&P 500 from the last quarter and the ones, you know, the, you know, the ones that held up despite an awful environment. And, of course, the biggest losers, the ones that just might represent some value at last at these levels. I think the losers actually have a lot more potential in this market, but because I don't want to get too downbeat, as everybody else seems to be, right? Let's start by going over the winners from the fourth quarter. Then we'll pick through the rubble of the losers after the break. At 2019, I mean, everyone said it's going to be awful, and then here we go. But wait a second. Maybe that's too soon. It's only the second day. The top performer in the fourth quarter, by far was Red Hat. And you know they used to come on the show all the time. It got a gigantic takeover bid from IBM, allowing it to rally nearly 30%. Now, typically, I wouldn't even mention this kind of story because it's already done, right? Red Hat's not even going to be existing in 2019. However, the implications of this deal are huge for the rest of the market. IBM shelled out a lot of money for a very expensive company. And even though Red Hat's a major play on cloud computing, which we know is strong, IBM stock got hammered for doing the deal. It was a brutal bludgeoning. 
And I think it kept other major companies from buying well-run but expensive tech firms. Granted, Broadcom was able to acquire CA with little to no consequence, and its buyback has been ferocious ever since. But Broadcom was an exception, and I bet this kind of deal will become even less common in light of the Apple shortfall. Especially because, well, let's say Broadcom stock got crushed. It lost $22.50 or 9%. Maybe the decline in IBM post Red Hat is an isolated incident, and the crash in so many high-quality cloud stocks has created some incredible takeover opportunities. Then again, it's hard to imagine many executives having the intestinal fortitude to pounce on these opportunities, and not when the group is this toxic. It's not Bristol-Myers Celgene. The second performer in the S&P, well, this was a shocker to me, but it shouldn't have been because it's been going on for a while, and that's Newmont Mining. Now, there's some real irony here, because when it comes to the gold miners, Newmont is the worst of the worst, frankly. But it doesn't matter, because the gold stocks ETFs are so powerful, they can levitate the entire group, take up the good with the bad, and gold is on a tear, the best bull market out there right now. But without the support of ETF buyers, Newmont stock would have been up much less than the 14.7% gain it gave you in the fourth quarter. So what's exactly wrong with Newmont? First, it's a high-cost producer, which means it needs a gigantic increase in the gold price to really move the needle. If you believe gold is going higher, I think Rand Gold is a much better investment. Under CEO Martin Bristow, Rand Gold's negotiated some, Mark Bristow, some really amazing deals in Africa. Uh, and he's still negotiating, by the way. Even today, he was trying to negotiate one. And that's allowed it to become an ultra-low-cost producer. And it, it, that was before it acquired Barrick Gold, giving the company more exposure and also be able to reduce costs coming up because that's what Bristow's great at. Here's the thing. Gold goes higher when investors are worried about chaos and inflation. But central banks around the globe, including the Fed, are stamping out inflation. And that should hurt this group. So if you want a miner, forget Newmont and buy some Barrick, which has genuine growth with Rand Gold under its wing, even if gold prices stall here. I bet if Fed governors could buy stock, they'd be buying Barrick because of the stench of inflation. Sadly, you and I can't smell it, see it, or feel it. Maybe the Fed has some special qualities, special powers, like the X-Men or something. Beats me. How about the third best performer, Starbucks? Remember the rose tree? How much fun was that? This one's up more than 13% in the fourth quarter. This is a classic comeback story masterminded by CEO slash miracle worker Kevin Johnson. First, he sold up the consumer packaged goods business to Nestle for an exorbitant price. He got seven bill. Then he started buying that stock hand over fist because, as he told us, the domestic business was turning thanks to new technology that helps get the lines moving faster. Also, the affinity program is growing. Starbucks is getting its sea legs back in China, solving critical delivery issue that really did a number on the stock. Now, the stock sold off hard today because people fear it may suffer the same consequences as Apple, where the product is too expensive to thrive during a, a slowdown in China. But coffee's never been that economically sensitive. I think Starbucks is a buy into weakness right here. Winner number four, one I don't talk about enough, CME Group, the company that owns the Chicago Merck. I figured this stock would get obliterated right alongside the stock market. Instead, it rallied uh, nearly 12% in the fourth quarter. CME's become a beloved financial tech stock now that the payment plays have kind of hit a wall. And you know what? I bet CME could keep climbing because this year could be even crazier than the last. And that means more futures trading. We'll circle back to this one at some point this year because it deserves a deeper analysis as a way to play a wacky 2019. Fifth, let's talk real estate investment trust for a second. It's a group of high-yielding stocks that investors flee to when the averages get hammered and interest rates go down. You've got faster-growing REITs with smaller dividends and slower, more consistent REITs with larger payouts. Last quarter, the strongest players in the group were kind of right in the middle of that continuum. Realty Income Corporation, which owns high-quality retail properties and pays you a 4.3% yield, it was the one they wanted. 
It's amazing how well these REITs telegraphed the collapse in bond yields during the fourth quarter. That's what the nearly 11% rally in realty income stock's all about. Fed Chief Jerome Powell probably figured the 10-year Treasury yields would soar after his insanely hawkish comments in October. Comments he still hasn't really repudiated. Sorry. Instead, they plummeted on fears of a slower economy. That makes the dividend stocks like realty income a lot more attractive in comparison, especially when you consider that the 10-year gives you only 2.5% again. How much more upside could these REITs have? Depends on how clueless the Fed is with its special powers. Six is a strange one, Church and Dwight. It's a premium multiple package good stock that used to be a rocket ship, but now seems kind of like a turboprop, which was still good enough to produce a more than 10% gain in a terrible quarter. The market likes the product lines, but Church and Dwight clearly isn't a takeover candidate, given that its stock is so pricey. On the other hand, it's got lower raw costs thanks to the huge decline in oil, and it's got powerful innovation for such small consumer packaged goods companies. I, I actually think this is a pretty good one. I like it on a pullback, although they tend to be pretty rare for these guys. If you take a look, it's kind of take a look at a five-year. It's like this, 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 and then it had this little bump and then came back. Finally, we have the cold shot of Dollar Tree. After pointing a quarter that looks soft, the stock started rallying in the wake of number cuts. Huh? Why? Well, buried within the results was a turnaround in the troubled family dollar business that they acquired three years ago. When we spoke to CEO Gary Philbin on the show not long ago, he told us there would be no more shortfalls created by the family dollar corporation. Uh, that more than anything else allowed Dollar Tree to rally more than 10% for the fourth quarter. Philbin also explained that even though China is an important source of merchandise, it will rapidly dwindle as a choke point because the company's so good at moving their sourcing around. Dollar Tree has the added advantage of being a good pal stock, as the Fed won't be happy until uh, they've thrown enough people out of work that everyone's shopping at Dollar Tree. Bottom line. When you put it all together, there's a surprising amount to like here, at least in principle. I think gold could have more upside because people fear chaos. Go with Barrick, not Newmont. I, that's the old wrangle. I, I like Starbucks here right now. If that last quarter, Church and Dwight seems expensive, but that's always been the case. And now the stock is a nice raw cost kicker. Realty income feels played out to me, although if the Fed keeps tightening, it's a winner. Best for last. I think this could be the year for Dollar Tree. The stock's worth buying anywhere around the $90 area, where it represents tremendous value now that family dollars fixed. And the Chinese sourcing issues are moving into the rear view mirror. Let's go to John in Florida. John! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Booyah from sunny Orlando. Hmm. Good hey, to have you. I'm a longtime listener. Oh. Mm-hmm. oh, I'm a longtime listener. I've got a situation I want to get your take on. Uh, Several years ago, I took your advice and added Express Scripts to my portfolio, and since then, I've had quite a run on that stock, and thank you, by the way. Now, that said, I woke up the other day, went to check my portfolio, only to find Express Scripts had disappeared. Uh, In its place was Cigna Insurance, CI. Apparently, Cigna acquired Express Scripts, and I was issued an equivalent dollar amount of Cigna shares. My question for you, sir, I'm five years away from being eligible for retirement. I'm wondering if I should hang on to Cigna or if I'd be better off selling it and looking for growth opportunities elsewhere. All right. First, John, uh, thank you for your confidence in yeah. me. Uh, I will tell you that I think, as Mr. Cordani was here, that this combination is really powerful. The stock has pulled back mightily. I think that Cigna is one you want to own, and I think it's going to have a good 2019. All right, amongst the winners of the fourth quarter lost some opportunity. There's a surprising amount to like here. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, could the losers of the fourth quarter actually be even better opportunities? I'll reveal the list in my take. Then on another ugly day on Wall Street, could a stock that was up 15% last year fix your money maladies this year? 
I'm sitting with the CEO of AMN Healthcare. And Bristol Myers is buying and sell gene, creating a pharmaceutical powerhouse, sending shares of the acquired company surging 25%. But not Bristol. I'm going to give you my take on the action. You do not want to miss it. So stay with Kramer. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. After still one more day where the market just got completely obliterated. Can we finally start picking among the rubble, looking for potential buying opportunities? Consider the worst performers of the fourth quarter as a decent place to dumpster dive. All right, first, oh boy, let's start with NVIDIA. NVIDIA, a stock that's gone from being the nickname for my dog Everest to being the biggest dog in the S&P 500. Down 52% for the quarter. What happened? NVIDIA's guide down was so monumental that you just had, you, know, you, you just knew you had to wait not one but two quarters before you can safely buy this high quality semiconductor maker. NVIDIA is all about graphics chips for gaming, along with autonomous vehicles and data center, artificial intelligence. And these are secular growth themes that some seem to think have been tapped out. And that's how the stock you punch from 292 to nearly 128 to the point where it's now trading at nearly 19 times this year's earnings. I've seen this stock trade at 40, 50 times earnings, and people loved it. Uh, and this means that the, the, when you have that kind of low multiple for stock like this, it usually means that the estimates need to come down even more. Proximate cause, too many cryptocurrency maniacs bought NVIDIA's chips last year, then returned them when crypto prices collapsed. Now there's a major inventory. Glad it's still being worked off. I believe the backlog will be cleared up this quarter. I also expect NVIDIA's new chips, the touring line, to start selling well later this year. They've cut the price Dramatically. I'm also far more optimistic about the data center on Thomas Vehicles than most people uh, are in artificial intelligence. We're in like any half. My take, if you buy NVIDIA here after today's sell-off, you're going to have to suffer through one more bad quarter, but then you're home free. I said maybe put on a half position down here and then wait for more weakness. Now, I'd be more bullish, but after Apple's shortfall, I think it pays to be even more cautious in tech. The losses, even from the second full day of 2019, will be very hard to come back from. Second, New field exploration down 49%. This is an oil and gas producer. It's actually a takeover target. And Canada decided to buy them near uh, well, near what they thought was the bottom two months ago in, in order to double down. Since then, Canada stock's nearly uh, 44% down. However, if you believe, as I do, that oil could be bottoming in the 40s, this one may be worth owning. The new field deal was all stock, and I think it represents decent foresight on Canada's part, even as oil's down substantially since the deal closed. Other than big oil companies should get in the game. Third, I am drawn... Life in hands, Pacific Gas and Electric, the lowest utility in the totem pole, down 
Sure, I know there's liability here for the fires, but Wall Street's littered with utility stocks that have come back from supposedly fatal errors over the years, you know, Three Mile Island. I mean, this one's as bad as it gets, uh, barring a total nuclear meltdown. That said, I bet PG&E makes a comeback thanks to the strength of the California business. It's a bottom fisher's delight. Fourth, what about, what do I say about Cody? The beauty products company with a stock down 48%. These knuckleheads tried to buy Avon for $10 billion six years ago. Now it's worth $700 million. And uh, Cody's made so many a series of unforced errors, it's hard for me to count them. I just can't see a meaningful comeback here. I'd much rather own Estee Lauder, which is incredibly well run by Fabrizio Freda. Sure, Cody can bounce, but so did my cat Comag. After it got run over by a 16-wheeler on a county road in Bucks County, PA, Come to think of it, I'd rather bet on Comag than Cody. More upside. Fifth, how about the heck did Align Technology, the maker of Invisalign, I need it, drop 46%. Simple. Other players came in and took away their near monopoly and invisible braces. Companies like 3M. Ooh, that stock's bad. I see price cutting ahead, which will crush Align's margins. I think it's too early to speculate on a turn in the stock. Way too early. Six, Nectar Therapeutics wasn't very therapeutic to its shareholders. But I will say this, down 46%, that seems extreme. This company has a decent pipeline of drugs and a non-terrible balance sheet. I just don't see a catalyst. And without that, I can't recommend Nectar for anything other than a bounce. This ain't selling hard pass. Hey, how about the seventh worst performer while we're going over things? Parago. This thing's been a monster disappointment ever since it turned down a $26 billion takeover bid from Mylan. It's now worth $5.5 billion. This one's something like uh, straight out of Aesop's Fables. It should be studied in grade school. I, I'm I, grade school. Parago is a knockoff drug maker that used to be a great growth story. Now it's known systematically for screwing things up and serially missing numbers. Well, there's a there's a hallmark for you. On the one hand, I can't count on selling Parago down here, uh, not at nine times earnings. On the other hand, I can't recommend buying it either, not until we see the whites of their eyes. Hey, CEO Murray Kessler, come on the show. You got to surface from the bunker. Tell us a reassuring story if you have one. Without some sort of totem. Something to hang on to. All I see in Paragos future is another round of estimate cuts. Who else stood out as a truly ter- terrible performer in the fourth quarter? Oh, we got a plethora of oil names, including Marathon Oil and Schlumberger. As I told you before, I believe crude is stabilizing, which I'm probably the only person who thinks that. But remember, I was the only guy who said it was going to the 40s when it was in the 60s. I think it makes these stocks intriguing. I think both Marathon and Schlumberger are worth holding. And we've been telling ActionAlertsPlus.com members that selling Schlumberger down here with a 5% yield seems plain wrong. Let's just touch on some other winners turn losers. The gaming stocks have been eviscerated, and I think they can make a comeback. Activision Blizzard seems cheap at 18 times this year's earnings, and Kramer Fave Take-Two Interactive sells for just 20 times earnings, even though it was a vastly superior product lineup. I think Activision's too low here, but Take-Two's a more compelling story. I got two more losers for you, Tiffany and United Rentals. What can I say about Tiffany? Stocks fall from 128 to 80. It, it seems wrong to me. During the fourth quarter, we saw a stunning collapse in anything high-end connected to brick-and-mortar retail. Uh, it's like uh, the wealthy shopper just froze. Was it something Mr. Powell said? Still, I like Tiffany's management team. With the stock trading 16.5 times earnings, I think it's a, a buy. Although everything luxury collapsed today because of worries that the Chinese aren't going to buy anything expensive anymore, a, a la Apple. As for United Rentals, this is a J-Pal stock for certain. If you think as I do, the Fed's really gunning for more unemployment, yay, perhaps without even knowing it, then this pernicious strategy will deck United Rentals. The stock already fell from 171 to below 100. I'm not counting the little rally at year's end. That's because United Rentals is a pure play on construction, including oil and gas construction. Stock's incredibly vulnerable to more rate hikes and more production cuts in the oil patch. I think we'll get the former, uh, but the latter may run its course by the time we get their next earnings report. My recommendation, if you think j actually pays attention to the consequences of his actions, 
uh, as they impact, say, uh, your net worth. I'd buy some United Rentals before the quarter. Let's just say you or I could be a big winner if oil bottoms and the Fed comes to its senses. In the meantime, CEO Mike Needle will no doubt be buying stock right alongside you. That's what he's been doing. Maybe he doesn't have a pal complex. Best for last, ConAgra or CAG. Here's a packaged food, uh, food company that got... Uh, had, you know, sometimes you just get had, when it overpaid for Pinnacle, which is turning into one of the most disastrous acquisitions in recent memory, hence the stock plunging 37% last quarter. The positive? All right, they, uh, they, still, uh, they now own the frozen food aisle. Had to think for a second. A favorite among millennials. The negative management can't fix the Pinnacle portfolio quickly. Uh, it paid maybe 50% too much. It's going to take more than a quarter. Six months from now, though, I think you can turn things around. Got a 4% yield. I'm betting patients will be rewarded with ConAgra, at least if you wait until right before the next quarter's earnings reports. Bottom line, do not let this hideous action throw you off the scent. Be constructive. When you look at the biggest losers in the fourth quarter, there's some real buying opportunities here. And these are exactly the kind of stocks that actually get cheaper as they go lower. Even as a last, they just, uh, well, let's just say uh, where they may be headed is lower before making a U-turn later in the year. Be constructive. That's my theme for 2019. I'm constructive. Right, right Regina, who's my executive producer, has been with me for 47 years. Constructive. All right, let's go. All right, well, maybe that is hyperbole. Let's see. <laughs> let's see. Uh, let's go to Elsie in Florida. Elsie. Hi, g- good afternoon. GE was once a blue chip and had a bad year in 2018. What do you foresee in 2019 for GE, and could there be a threat of bankruptcy? Oh, no, no, let's. No, we don't want to. No. Steve Tusa, my bud, the uh, JP Morgan guy. I, you know, he, even he's is not. He's no longer bash. He's no longer get down there giving it the business. Um, I think that uh, I am a believer in Larry Culp. I think he's taking good actions. I am not recommending GE. Why? Because I actually don't like to take life into my hands. But that said, do not sell GE. It's too late. Okay. Uh, when you look at the losers of fourth quarter, you actually see some winners. Because hindsight's 2020. Now I'm mad tonight. Special show. Bad day for the markets. Are you looking for a safe, steady winner? I got one. I got this AMN Healthcare. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO. Then, what compares to Mars acquisition of Celgene Signal for the broader market? I'm going to give you my take. And all your calls in a brand new 2019 edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow. Kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I was jet lagged, you know, yesterday, and I woke up at 3.30 as well. You should have given me a jingle. And I thought of you, and I thought, you really are insane. Oh, totally. It's right. No, that's not even, we're stipulating that. 3.30 in the morning. It's 2019, time to call Spade to Spade. I'm crazy. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. worried about a serious worldwide economic slowdown, something that's more apparent by the day. What stocks can still work in that environment? You want secular growth stories that keep working, regardless of how the economy is doing. The classic recession-resistant industry is healthcare. Consider a company like AMN Healthcare Services, which is a managed service provider 
They call them MSPs that provides hospital and workforce and staffing solutions. Basically, they handle the business side so doctors can focus on treating patients, although they have other things that they do, too, that are pretty amazing. In an environment like this one, with high labor costs, healthcare providers need AMN staffing services more than ever. So let's take a closer look with Susan Salka. She's the president and CEO of AMN Healthcare Services. Hear more about how our company's doing, where it's headed. Ms. Salka, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you for coming Thank back. You so Thank much. you. Have a seat, please. Well, your stock has done terrifically since we saw you last, much better than the stock market. And I think one of the reasons is because people are starting to realize maybe there is a slowdown, but it really doesn't affect you, does it? Yeah, well, we have a lot of things driving our industry, certainly starting with an aging population, which drives utilization of healthcare, but it also creates shortages within the healthcare workforce. You know, we have really severe shortages within nursing, physician, allied, and even within leadership. So we're really seeing those two things um, come together right at the worst time, probably, for healthcare. But that's where AMN comes in. We can help healthcare providers to ensure that they have the right talent in the right place at the right time through things like our managed services programs right. that you mentioned. But we have other workforce solutions as well. Now, when I heard about the tightness, and it's uh, throughout in your conference call, other than a couple of places, I started thinking, okay, let's say I was the Federal Reserve and I read the AMN Healthcare conference call. Should I be worried that the economy is overheating and there are not enough, p- enough people to fill good positions? Yeah, it's a really tight labor market. And as you well know, people are everything in the success right. of an operation here at Mad Money, but also at AMN and for our clients. And so helping them get the right healthcare professionals is really critical. But we're at a time when the number of healthcare job openings, if you just look right. at the BLS data, healthcare job openings are twice the number of hires. In fact, we're at record highs for vacancies and job quits. And so it's really essential that we bring everything that we can to help them get the staff they need, whether it be temporary or permanent. It's also really important that we help our clients to optimize the staff that they have. They need to make sure that they're taking every precious moment right. for that physician and that nurse and getting them to the patient that needs them most. I've had some t- uh, spent some time with Kaiser Permanente. I think it may be one of the best runs there, companies in is. the country. It, they're a client of yours. What would you be doing for them? Well, they are actually our largest client right. and, as you say, one of the most progressive Whoa. and innovative right. organizations. We just renewed our contract with them and are expanding it into new categories and new regions. And so we help them make sure that they have contingent staff, primarily now in nursing, but we're expanding it into the allied areas as well as physician. And then we'll also be bringing other innovative technology tools to them. I'm really excited because we're going to be putting together a workforce institute with them to really make sure that that we're innovating together to make sure that they have, but also our country has, the staff we need to take care of patients. That's a company that is the gold standard in terms of of, uh, treating men and women equally, in in terms of recognizing that perhaps opportunity should be open to everyone. I know uh, you were kind enough to be in my corporate governance conference. This, This is a very important initiative for you. I want people to understand what you've done because I think it's one of the reasons why you're able to get people when other people have a shortage. Well, I appreciate you recognizing that, Jim. It's something that our company is very passionate about, making sure that we use all of our resources and our time and our talents to do not only good work for our clients and our clinicians, 
but also just do good work in the world. Yeah. We call it performance and profits with a purpose. And I am so proud of the AMN team and all that they do. We're particularly passionate around social causes and being involved in our communities. So we support our team members and volunteerism. We go to Guatemala on a mission trip every year. And then around uh, gender diversity, uh, gender and um, equality, as well as diversity matters, we take a very strong role. Um, certainly, we have a good track record ourselves, but we want to help our clients and others to also improve. But I also know you're an objective individual. Uh, do you have statistics which show what happens when you bring in AMN in, in order to be able to, to leverage what ends up being, you, look, you want to make money for your, for your clients, uh, where it shows that AMN is the, it, it, is, it brings the numbers up? Well, what we can do is we can help our clients ensure they not only have the talent they need, but we can help them reduce their costs. And remember, right. workforce is 50% of a hospital's budget, and half of that is nursing. So anything we can do to help ensure that they are being as efficient as possible is absolutely critical. And so making sure that, A, they have the right talent, right. but also that they're using that talent most efficiently through things like predictive analytics and proper scheduling and workforce planning. Those are ways that we can really help them to solve their total workforce challenges, as well as just ensure that they have the right staff at the right time. Well, terrific. Ever since we've known you, we've been seeing you grow and doing the right thing. A lot of great acquisitions, too, that you can get a chance to talk about. But you've been a stranger on the show. It's upsetting because you're so terrific at what you do. That's Susan Salka. She's AMN Healthcare Services President and CEO and a company that I was very proud to serve with on a panel because of the good things that they do. They have money's back after the break. It is time! It's time And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skiing! Daddy, time for the lightning round. I'm starting with Brian in Iowa. Brian. Bullia from the beautiful, bountiful breadbasket of the country. In recent months, UHC has moved in a counterintuitive fashion. Great news is followed by sharp drops. No news is followed by upward jumps. The past couple weeks, the stock has dropped more sharply than the market. Trade or shutdown issues should have minimal impact. Talk of tweaking Obamacare or implementing universal health care were it to occur would uh, take quite a while to implement. Fundamentals are strong, projections rosy, analysts by a large majority have buy recommendations. Shorting is minimal. All right, what's the stock? I'm puzzled. Your insights would be appreciated. What's the stock? UHC. UNC UHC? United Health? United, United Health. Health. Yeah. Well, come on, man. Ah. It's just, it just happens to be a big cap dollar amount. I think the stock is a buy. buy we buy, bought buy, it buy. just the other day, fractional. We told club members of AxelersPlus.com, what an opportunity. Everything you say, I agree with Tom in Michigan. Tom. Hey, Jim. Love the show. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. I'm calling you tonight about Cata Oil. Capital oil and gas, much more natural gas than the others. Natural gas is collapsed in price. So I'm going to have to say hard pass. No thanks. Janice in Connecticut. Janice. Big booyah to you, Jim. Right back. Happy New Year. Same to you. And thank you for helping us. Uh, I, sure need some, I need some advice from you on canopy growth. CGC. Okay, now let's understand. There's a lot of uh, derision about me on Twitter, which I don't mind one bit. But the problem is, is what I was saying was that the only one of the uh, 
pot stocks, cannabis stocks, that I think really has the war chest that can do well is cannabis because of the relationship with Constellation. That did not say go buy, 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 buy cannabis. I'm just saying that's the one. And uh, if you want to have a well-capitalized play on cannabis, it's going to be cannabis. There. Norman in Wisconsin. Norman. Yep. Norm from Marshfield, Wisconsin. Okay. Booyah. Booyah. Thanks for taking my call, Mr. Kramer. Okay. I got over 4,000 shares of AT&T stock. Last Friday night, I got home late to see your show and caught only the tail end of what you said about the dividend and what you thought of AT&T stock. I like it. I think it yields almost 7%. I think they got the cash flow. I think it's got the management. And I think that the stock is an opportunity there. And that, ladies and conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. The long-awaited drug company consolidation has begun! And not a moment too soon. That's the only way to make sense of this deal where Bristol-Myers is paying $74 billion for Celgene. Because we're finally seeing the limits of big pharma and big biotech come into play. I'm tempted to say, oh, how the mighty have fallen for decades, going all the way back to my old hedge fund. Whenever we get a massive market-wide sell-off based on some exogenous event, you know, that's some foreign crisis, I'll tell you what I said. I'd say reach for big pharma, because what does Iceland or Cyprus or Turkey have to do with the price earnings multiple of Bristol-Myers? I use them as the example because they offer cutting-edge products for a host of illnesses. But in the last few years, Bristol-Myers has become more focused, turning into a premier anti-cancer company, thanks to its amazing Updevo formulation. Uh, premier, that is, until Merck came up with Keytruda, and Bristol-Myers started getting beat head-to-head by what we used to call St. Merck. I think that the superiority of Keytruda is still debated for various cancers, uh, but it did take Bristol by surprise. Since then, the company's been trying to expand its pipeline to no real avail, at least as far as Wall Street's concerned. So BMY decided to go after one of the most undervalued companies in its universe, which is Celgene. And that itself has been uh, a once-great growth juggernaut. Can we call it that? Celgene's greatness was based on Revlimid, which is a blood cancer drug that produced about $8.2 billion in sales last year. Revlimid succeeded not just because it's the drug of choice for various blood cancers, but also because Celgene's been able to raise its price pretty regularly. The problem with Revlimid is that its drug soon going to lose its patent protection. Although, because of the peculiar nature of the pharma business, we really can't even be sure exactly when it'll go off the cliff. Like Bristol, Celgene wanted to diversify away from being a one-product company, but so far, its efforts, too, haven't gone too well. company made what now looks to be a disastrous acquisition of Receptos for $7.2 billion a few years ago. Hey, guilty. I thought it was going to be good. Receptos had this drug for irritable bowel syndrome and multiple sclerosis. Tests have proven inconclusive so far. Then Celgene shelled out $9 billion to buy Juno Therapeutics for the still relatively untested cancer immunotherapy technologies, CAR-T. No one on Wall Street seemed to care. It was a yawner. So Bristol Myers and Celgene decided to combine forces. When I discussed the deal with my Squawk on the Street co-host David Faber this morning, he surmised that after their many failed attempts at diversification, perhaps these are two drunken sailors holding each other up. I counter by saying maybe they aren't drunk, but they've both fallen on hard times. The issue for me, though, is that if, if you own Celgene, 
You just made a boatload today, you're up 20%. And there are others, including Gilead and Biogen, that could be similarly positioned if other big pharma names get the urge to merge. The fact is, there are simply too many drug companies out there that can be more valuable to potential acquirers than they are to the stock market itself. When you think of it, say, about AbbVie, ABBV, there's a good example. It's a largely one-product company, even if the one-product you mirror is the best-selling drug in the world. Uh, maybe it needs to do a deal. I think it should. That's one reason why I am headed out west next week to the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. Will you look at this? I mean, look at this. I mean, I need to look these execs in the eye and see what they think of the possible combinations out there. David Ricks, Eli Lilly, what a winner, right? Hey, remember Omar, he came on the show, just monster. Brent down to 132, you know, we got to figure out what the hell's going on there. You know we like what's going on with EW. Of course, no one will ever admit that they need to make an acquisition in order to prosper. But that's why we do our own homework. Look, if not for the Apple shortfall today, worse than six years, by the way, this Bristol-Myers Celgene deal would have been all we talked about. It shows you how Bristol-Myers needed more than just Updevo. The company needs a suite of anti-cancer products and pipelines. With Celgene, maybe it finally has the diversification that it's been looking for. Stick with Craig. Multiple times on this show and on Squawk on the Street, I said that Apple would pre-announce it. I said they'd have a shortfall. They had it. Now everybody wants to give up on it. I don't know if that's so smart. Yes, it's been a terrible stock, but it's a great company. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'd find it just for you. Right here on Mad Money, I'm Jim Cramer. Happy New Year. See you tomorrow. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.